360 Ed TV is brought to you by Rice Studios and Agility. Mike Keppel, welcome to 360 Ed TV. Good to yeah. see you again, sir. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, Mike, in your 2011 publication, Physical and Virtual Learning Spaces and Higher Education, uh, that you and Matt Riddle penned, uh, you described the disintegration of the distinction between face-to-face -face learning mm -hmm. and teaching distance education as a significant shift for both students and staff of universities. Fast forward six years to 2017, can you describe the shift as it affects students and academics today? Yeah, and it's a really good question because I think in some ways you're talking about seamless learning mm. and students don't distinguish about where they are and what they're doing, what technology they're using, how they're accessing their learning and teaching or their learning uh, as they're going through. So, so in many ways, I think if we fast forward, I think it's a reality. I think uh, uh, at least from the student side, they realise that everything needs to be seamless for them to actually partake in their studies. We're still working with staff. Mm. I think we still have some challenges there in terms of getting them to adapt to that. So the LMS, uh, the mobile, uh, the blended, the face-to-face, the -face, you know, working on the train, doesn't matter where you are. No one ever asks where you write an email from these days. Uh, all they want to know is, have you dealt with that issue? So, so I think that seamless learner, seamless teaching uh, is where we're at now. And we're mm. seeing a lot of that in the presentations today. Your comment about that seamlessness is, is, is spot on. I still hear um, people talking about almost um, buckets of yeah. concern for students. And it really is a stream of consciousness for them. It, I get up in the morning and yeah. I'm just interacting with whatever I need to do to get to the end of the day. Um, and you know, university is part of that. Um, are there any short-term issues or themes that you think uh, institutions could be focusing on that maybe they're missing at the moment? Um, I, I think personalised learning, to be honest, yep. is a missing link. And I think a lot of grapple with what it is. We all throw the term out there in terms of uh, we, we believe we know what it is in terms of personalising the experience. Uh, I've done some work myself, and that's more my recent work that I'm looking at, where I've actually tried to empower the student with, if you like, a, a toolkit or an attaché case of skills that they need to be a, a personalised learner. Things like digital literacies, digital competencies, uh, digital fluency, uh, looking at the seamless learning, mm -hmm. the self-regulated learning, uh, looking at the idea that they need to be able to put together their own type of learning experience. Um, the assessment needs to be authentic uh, and it really needs to be a full range of skills that they look at. Uh, so that's the recent work I've done. I don't think people are doing it well and mm. it came out one time when I was chatting to uh, a university, a senior executive, and I said it's great we've got personalised learning in the strategic plan and right up front on the website can you tell me what it is? Mm. And they couldn't. They said, go talk to someone else. And I thought, well, at that point I realised we'd been throwing around this term of personalised learning. I think we need to really empower the learner to learn. And our biggest gift to them is actually being able to, if you like, empower them to think about learning as being curious every day and asking questions. And if they can continue to learn, that's our greatest gift we've given to them. Because it's going to be irrelevant what they've learned in a couple of years, what they've learned today. Because the pace of change is there. Mm. So if we teach them how to learn and how to grapple with problems and how to think about um, 
facing the world and being a problem solver and conducting projects and working with others, then we've done a much better job. So, so that's mm. some of my recent work that I think we're missing, that we need to empower the learner to be a personalised learner. So this is a great segue into my next question too. So Jeff Crisp, he's a PVC at UNSW. Sure. We bumped into Jeff from time to time. Uh, synergistic spaces, he said, uh, uh, required, uh, are required for a holistic student experience. And he focused on how assessment spaces and tasks needed to change. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been discussing uh, the criticality of that uh, within authentic learning and assessment and you talked about worthy problems or questions of importance. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. What yeah. are the what are the implications of that statement for educators? Well, I think the big thing is that we're changing it around in terms of looking at the assessment. We're actually what do we want of our students? We want them to hit the ground running when they graduate. But to me, I want them to be able to solve the problems of the future that we can't solve, and I want them to be able to solve the problems that we haven't even thought of. I want them to be active problem solvers. So I think in some ways, society's got to look at this. We've got to get away from content. We've got to get to the point where we get students being problem solvers. And so the assessment comes into play in that we look at learning-oriented assessment or authentic assessment, where we put the learning back into assessment. Mm-hmm. So all of, the, all of the assessment tasks that we look at should be real world and worthy of attention. I want students to get up in the morning and think, that's right, I've got that problem I've got to solve and it's part of my assessment. I don't want them to get up and think, I've got 50 multiple choice questions to do today. Uh, not that they'd be too keen on thinking about that, but that's, that's <laughs> sort of the, the point we're looking at, that we need to think of, get them being in the mode of solving problems that we can't solve now. Mm. The world is becoming much more chaotic, ambiguous, and, um, and I, I, we need chaos pilots. We need students mm. who are chaos pilots that can navigate this ambiguity. If we still te- keep teaching content, then what we're going to do is we're not going to create these, these uh, uh, students in the future when they graduate that can actually make the world a better place. Uh, we're just going to replicate what we're doing now. So, so I think some people are talking about this, all educators will, will think about it, but I think start with the end in mind. What do we want our students to be able to do when they graduate? Forget about the, all the parameters and the retention, the attrition, the, all these sorts of things that we're thinking about and the graduate employability. If they are solving problems, they will be employed. Mm. But, but on the other hand, we need to think about what's going to make the world a better place. And um, University of 20 was an interesting example that I went to last year. The whole university is looking at project-based learning and they're looking at in their design lab multidisciplinary projects. I'll talk more about this tomorrow. This is kind of one mm. of the themes I'll get into. Mm. But I do think that um, assessment is our greatest challenge. Yeah. We need to get away. We still want uh, graduates and students who can do all the things that we need them to do, but we need them to be problem solvers. Mm. Uh, and we need them to be able to work on projects or, if you like, problems worthy of attention, if you like. So. You, you spoke to something at the beginning of that, which I think is, is quite salient. So part of this is perhaps resetting the compass for the academic away from creator to curator to focus really, if you like, on the meat and potatoes, the challenges, the problems, the, yeah. the, the higher order um, 
pieces, so move away from those tedious tasks That's towards right. engaging challenges yeah. that actually lift the, the learner's eyes. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think in some ways what we're, we're needing to do is is lift the focus. And I think we've seen some good examples today where people are restructuring their curriculum and doing it in a certain way. Um, I think we really have to get the academic and empower them uh, to be in a, in a position so that they can actually really help the student to be a good problem solver, to create um, finished projects, to actually come up with questions that the lecturer had never even thought of. And, mm. and um, so there's, there's co-creation, co-learning as well in terms of that. I think the technology supports all of this, but it's getting away from the content side because the content will be supported, it can be found, um, starting with the problem to begin with in problem-based learning in medicine. Mm. And I believe that's why I think we're getting better uh, medical doctors out of the system, at least in Australia. Problem-based learning curriculum has got um, students working with other people to solve problems, but going through methodically and thinking about what, what could it be and, and using evidence to base on their decisions in terms of how they go about it. So, so you're right, the, yeah. we, we have to actually free up the, the lecturer, the teacher, uh, to be a much better um, uh, person looking at the questions and the assessment and the focus on being a, a mentor and a, and a, a co-learner with the students. Mm. That's yeah. a really interesting perspective, yeah. Um, look, as PVC at Swinburne, you would have spent a lot of time reflecting on looking at the the components of Swinburne's ecosystem, and you've got yeah. the higher ed, you've got PAVE there, which is a pathways program, sure. you've got work integrated learning, there's OUA, the Swinburne online, there's a, it's, sure. it's a very, very uh, complex and well-oiled machine in many ways. Um, in your presentation, you specifically called out work integrated learning as a, as a, as a component within sure. those. Um, what prompted you to call uh, WAL out as a separate element in that ecosystem when yeah. it typically gets immersed in a program? Yeah, and I, I think it's a really good point. I think mm. I think when you've got higher ed and you've got PAVE and Swimbin Online mm. and you've got uh, OUA, as you were saying, um, in that ecosystem, um, very complex one and the right pathways. But the fact is that we have to give students experiences and internships and apprenticeships. Uh, I think professional practice. Again, it gets back to that point of what are we trying to do with our students? We want them to be internationally savvy, multicultural aware, uh, all these sorts of things. They need internships, not only in Australia, in their own discipline and industry, but overseas. Mm, mm. They need to be able to do things in, in that practical setting where they can actually apply what they've been learning as a problem solver to actually take the field even further. I think we've been doing this in research for a long time where we always build on the shoulders of other people yes. in terms of research. With our teaching, I think we need to do the same. We need to get our students to think about how they can build on what someone else has done and come up with a different way of doing it that may be much more effective. Mm. And I think um, places like the Design Lab at University of 20, Design Factory at, uh, at Swinburne University, get students together from different disciplines to actually work on industry problems uh, that are worthwhile and used by industry and they're trying to solve problems. One of the best I saw, we all take public transport. So students thought about how can we make the experience much better for the passenger as they're sitting there mm. or standing there. What about the, the ceiling on the actual train? Could we use that as space 
to actually think about how we could actually use our electronic devices for them to interact. Now that's thinking very laterally. Whether it works or not at the moment doesn't matter, but it's thinking very laterally about can we actually improve this experience for the passenger um, and also to making it a learning environment, making the environment as much better for everyone involved. And, and to me, that's, that's what we need to be looking at in, in terms of things. Work integrated learning will help with that. And I think mm. uh, that apprenticeship model, I think in some ways it's part of why I've enjoyed moving around to work at many different universities. Yes. Because yeah. in some ways it's like work integrated learning on a five year cycle because I really enjoy immersing myself in an environment, learning in that situation, grappling with the challenges, and then moving to another location to actually do the same thing, but with different parameters. Mm. And each time I move, I think I get to be a better problem solver, at least more resilient, um, and, uh, and uh, able to actually think a bit more differently because I can draw on these other experiences to solve the problems. So Mike, what you've just talked about there in terms of your own experience, I think if I reflect back to what you were just talking about in terms of those design questions, <clears throat> it, for me, it, an underlying component here is that we have to be less risk averse and less averse to failure. Failure yeah. is a great thing, it's a good thing because uh, we need to be trying, we need to be trying lots of different approaches to see what fits. Yeah, that's. I mean, essentially, that's what we do. We we we, we put a, a hypothesis out there, and then we test yeah. it. That's right. Yeah. I, I, in some ways, I, I I jokingly say that if I'm make, not making five to ten mistakes a day, I'm not trying hard enough. So so in some ways, I'm I'm at the end of the spectrum in terms of being a risk taker. Um, mm. in my personal life adventures, climbing and diving, and yep. and and so forth as well. But on the other hand, I think you've got to push the boundary. You've got to expect, and I, th I don't think higher education does this particularly well. We don't like it when things don't work. Uh, we've got to make sure that we keep pushing those boundaries. Mm. So that if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. But we have to look at the implications and, and, and make sure it's not too, uh, uh, too, has too many implications for the organisations. But we need to push that. We need to actually be um, working, succeeding and failing, having a cycle of that design. Mm. As a designer, I think of it as an iterative cycle. And if I, I do something small in the design aspect, look to see if it works and then go to the next stage. Um, everyone here is talking about transformational um, change in terms of their university. Everyone's looking at changing every unit and, mm. and, and course at the university. Now in that, there are going to be failures and we need to have those to push the boundaries. Yeah. But we need to make sure it's recognised by uh, people that if there is failure, then that's expected, mm. not that it's outside the norm. I'm interested then, and I've asked this question of everybody. Last sure. question. Is the four-year degree dead? Yeah, it's a really good point. I mean, I, I think in some ways degrees and qualifications and certification and credentials are really important in, in any area. We want a doctor to be able to help us because we know they've met certain yeah. standards. So I think standards should never be compromised. I think the way we put together our particular programs and courses uh, etc. is very important and I think micro nano credentials, micro credentials, yep. I think uh, the spectrum of the continuum of grad certificate diploma going into degrees and so forth, I think that's a useful environment. I think what we have to look at is recognising prior learning as well. Mm. 
uh, and also yeah. too, if, if if at times where where uh, uh, upskilling or or career advancing and doing different qualifications, giving people the opportunity to prove that they've done something in those areas. Mm. When I did my masters way back in 1988 at Calgary University. I, my, the greatest things that happened to me in my studies was I was able to do some individual studies. Mm. I picked the topic because I thought, I've got a gap here. I need to know about this area. And I explored it and it was rated at the master's and PhD level it was. And to me, that was exciting because <laughs> I was recognising myself, this is what I need. So is the four-year degree dead? I don't think so for a while, but I think we need to look at it, how we actually put it together. I yeah. tend to think the nano, the micro, different credentials, recognising prior learning, and we don't seem to be able to do that particularly well. Uh, distance educators and open educators have been doing this for a while and recognising that. I think there's, there's some good promise there in terms of that. I still think there's value in it because it shows mm. there's a certain standard. But I think how we actually put things together and allow people different pathways to drop out when they want to, to achieve their goals is so important. So it may not be the four-year degree that's essential, but some sort of pathway yeah. to allow them to learn the things they need to do to actually achieve their goals. And in, then we have a personalised uh, learning journey, don't Exactly, we? Yeah. yeah. And that, that's what I think is missing at the moment, yeah. mainly because it's way too complex to get personalised learning yeah. uh, um, into the future. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so... We could keep chatting all day. Yes, possibly. But yeah. we've run yeah. out of beer and uh, wine. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> but Mike, look, thank you yeah, so thank much. You, really appreciate today. Sure, sure. Yeah, thank you.